back to the Video Essay Podcast. I'm your host, Will DeGravio. On today's show, I am overjoyed to be joined by Kleber Mendonça Filio, the director of the new film, Pictures of Ghosts. The film is a documentary, an essay film. It appeared on the Sight and Sound survey of the year's best video essays of 2023, and is truly one of my favorite films of this or really any year. The film concerns Kleber's hometown of Recife in Brazil, set at the apartment that his mother built, one that later became a space that he filmed again and again in his movies. I watched the film via a screener link before recording this conversation with Kleber, and then was lucky enough to go and see it on the big screen at the IFC Center here in New York. And all I can say is, please, please go check out this film on a big screen if you can, and be sure to follow the Grasshopper Film website for any updates on when it might be showing near you. As always, you can learn more about the Video Essay Podcast at thevideoessay.com, follow us on social media platforms, and subscribe to our newsletter, Notes on Videographic Criticism, at thevideoessay.substack.com. is you know it's such a, a rich film that covers so many different areas so I'm, I'm curious when you meet someone on the street or wherever and you know you say you've made this film like how, how do you describe it just like briefly what's the yeah you know, what, what's the elevator description that you give to folks who you meet about it it's still tough to describe the film because of course the easy way is to say it's a documentary and I never really I never really thought about a documentary while I was making it. I, but but I also avoided uh, seeing it as some kind of essay because it sounds too academic. I I really thought that the film was about history and memory, um, mm. and um, it's it's a it's very much about film going and about making films mm-hmm. and and remembering images wherever they may be. So I think. It's always a tough, uh, a tough thing to do when I meet someone on the street and I try to describe what the film is. I'm curious about that because I think it, it 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 so balances this very obviously personal story that you begin with, like literally your home, but then becomes about you know more public movie going, the architecture of the city. So how did you think about that in creating the film? This kind of balance between the intensely personal, but then also the 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 city and the movie going culture at large. Yeah, sometimes I'm surprised at how personal it finally is because in the beginning we we started the editing doing the downtown section of the film and, and focusing on the movie palaces. Mm-hmm. But at some point it just felt a little too it felt too much like a catalog of movie palaces and mm-hmm. and I began to get a little um I wasn't really happy with the way the film was seemed to be going. 
Um, mm. And at that time, we decided that we were going to move house. We were going to leave the apartment where I lived for many years, myself and Emily, my partner. And that's when the whole thing about the apartment kicked in because I, I slowly came to remember that I shot many films at that place. So it wasn't only a place of life, of normal life, but also a place of um, of cinema, of making films. Some very early primitive VHS videos and films, mm. and Super 8 and Peter Cam, and finally Neighboring Sounds, which were shot on 35mm technoscope. So I had all kinds of images of the same living room and the same bedrooms and the bathroom. And, and it really felt like it was the same concept, the same idea I had for the film, for the downtown section. It was mm. essentially the same thing. Mm. And and then why did it get personal? Because I, it, it would be unnatural to just show the apartment without ever mentioning who lived there. And then when I realized that I had to actually mention that I lived there, I could not leave out my mother and my brother. So, <laughs> so suddenly I'm, I'm talking about these loved ones. And also I show my kids and, and my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, I, I really don't think that's, I don't, I really don't think that's what the film is about. You know, I, I really mm-hmm. think the film is about space and, and how we inhabit space. And and that could be an apartment, a home, or a cinema, or the streets. In fact, and mm-hmm. but but to tell, it, it's true that when I when I decided to, when I began to edit the apartment section, I thought that I had found the film, and, and it was a good feeling mm-hmm. because it happens in every film. Sometimes you're a little lost, and at some point you it's when you click and you find the film. And the moment you find the film is always a, is a good moment. Because mm-hmm. before that, is, everything is was theory. When you write a script, it's theory. Uh, when the actors rehearse the script, you say, ah, it, I think it might work. Mm-hmm. And that's when you begin to find the film. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, at what point did your your your, your script, your, your your voiceover, at what point does that come into... The process because i want to talk later of course about the you know the the footage yeah. itself and the montages but is that an ongoing changing thing did you have a general outline at first what is that what is that process kind of like i'm always curious to know back in 2014 i i was invited to do a short film on the world cup the the world cup of football in taking place in the city and that was the first time I put my voice. Uh, I did a, a voiceover narration in one of my own films. And to my surprise, I, I actually enjoyed the process. In the beginning, it's a little hard because, because um, it's your own voice and it's kind of strange. Um, but but I finally enjoyed it. And I, I, and I really liked that short film, that little film. And this time I... I had no questions about whose voice was going to be. I I, I just knew that I I that I would uh, record my own voice, but I did not want to do it in a studio with a with 
two guys or a woman uh, looking at me and, you know, technician kind of thing, uh, kind of a cold, uh, technical, professional thing going on. So I decided to uh, record um, in my own office after 11 p.m., after oh, the wow. kids went to bed. And I got myself a special iPhone uh, microphone from Zoom, which which is actually quite good. And and I just held my phone and 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 I would write the lines uh, on my computer screen, and I would just record it. Oh wow! Um, and then I I would take the, the the voiceover narration the next morning to the editing. Um, we would work on it, and then what the pictures were asking for that same evening, I would record three or four new lines. And that's how the recording took place. Because I I, I tried to write the whole narration, but it was terrible. It, it was cold, and it just didn't... Um, the, the best way, the, the way it worked was me looking at what we had edited, and then I would I would almost um, I would almost do a commentary, not mm. really a narration. I, I was making observations on on the whole the general idea of what the film was was presenting at that moment. It's great that you are fascinating that you liken it to kind of a director's commentary because of course we're looking at many of your <laughs> past uh, past works um yeah and i was wondering what what was it like going through the archive of your work like how how first i guess how do you archive your, your past work and <laughs> what was the process of like going through it a while ago i i, I decided to, to call myself just just as i talk to journalists to say that i'm a i'm an amateur archivist <laughs> which is pretty good because most people don't even think about keeping their their footage and 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 all of us and I mean all of us today we have we have our own images because we have these phones and 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 they're and and they're capable of making super high quality images so if 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 you take pictures of your friends of of places you like, of the city, of the sky, of cat uh, shooting video. This is all archive. It might not be interesting this afternoon because you shot it this morning, but but wait ten years or fifteen years or twenty five years, um, and these images will will actually triple in, or maybe, or maybe. Ten times over, they will be more interesting in in terms of what they mean, even historically, even down to what looking at what you wore, used to wear uh, back in twenty twenty three, or or um, so. Um, I I've been able to to keep uh, a lot of my images, um, all my VHS images, a lot of my photographs and negative, uh, and I went back and 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 had a look at. At this material and and it's not easy because you're looking at you're looking at people you lost you're looking at yourself in my case 32 years ago when i was 21 uh you you might like yourself or you might dislike yourself looking at yourself in the past 
which is something that you have to come to terms with. Uh, the 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 many hours I have with Alexandre, one of the most amazing people I had, I was lucky enough to meet in my life. They were they were nice conversations, but Kleber from from twenty twenty three wanted to ask the questions that young Kleber did not ask, and that was really frustrating. Mm -hmm. You know, given my my life experience. My my understanding, I think, of of who he was. Um, so it, it it was extremely complex, and but I have to say that I, it makes me incredibly happy to see people talking about him, talking about Joselice, my mother, because of the film, and somehow they're they're uh, uh, strong personalities they shine through somehow the film and people they have caught people's attention mm. and and i i think it's absolutely fascinating to think that that they they are catching people's uh, attention saying oh that's that's a cool woman that's an incredible man i really like what he says here i was moved when he he, he talked about closing the cinema and that was him you know it's not something that was scripted it 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 just happened that that same at that time when he just said that and it says a lot about who he was as a man and as a person for those listening who may not have seen the film he's the uh project he, he was the project projectionist at um cinema in the city and you you featured this fantastic art, art footage that you took of kind of the inside of the uh the cinema up at the projection booth him actually working on the material of the film I think there's one where he talks about like projecting the Godfather so much that he's sick of the sounds of the, the Godfather. Um, the Nino, Nino Rota uh, theme music. He couldn't bear it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's fantastic to get to, to spend some time with him in the film. And, you know, I was wondering like, at what point, like when you're, so when you're working with material like that, obviously you carry an association with it that, you know, as the actual filmmaker of, you know, when you originally shot it, it maybe more played like a documentary or when you're shooting your films in the apartment, they more play like a, a fiction film. But at some point in this process, they become almost found footage or archival footage. And and did, did, did that happen for you in working with the materials? Like, did that feeling change? Like, did you begin yeah. to treat them differently? You've kind of alluded to this maybe in your last answer. Um, but I'm wondering if the footage began to feel like an archive and perhaps, you know, because you also use our, you know, archival footage, there's footage of Janet Lee and Tony Curtis in Brazil and, and, and that kind of thing. So did it begin to take on that quality for you at all? It's a very good question because at some point, all bits of footage are treated the same. Mm -hmm. Of course, if, if I'm, if I'm in the footage, if my family is in the footage, it does feel a little different because it, uh, th there is the, the, the very personal side to that. But when I see Janet Lee and Tony Curtis at the Duarte Coelho Bridge, there is an emotional uh, aspect to that footage because in a very strange way, that bridge is part of my life because it's right in downtown, in the downtown area. And it's a very well-known uh, bridge. But at the same time, Tony Curtis and Janet Lee are also part of my life. 
because they have made indelible films. But they happen to come from the United States and Hollywood. And, and that's when the two worlds collide and, and people's minds just go when they see that that footage because it's uh it's almost like uh have you ever had the feeling of being in a in a in a movie theater and then the and 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 then a major star or a major film or a filmmaker you admire is coming into the movie theater and it's like the when worlds collide because movie theaters only show films you're not supposed to have the films who made the films inside the movie theater <laughs> so it, it's um it's a similar feeling and uh and the other thing is um when i said that all bits of footage are treated equal it it means that even outtakes from neighboring sounds my first film or vhs footage or or uh, tony curtis and janet lee what and also the pictures that i got from families all of them they i'm i'm really scanning every centimeter of that image because i'm interested in what's in the background i i, I want to know what his if it looked like in 1962. look at those cars and look at the way that man walking on the other side of the bridge look at look at the way he wears uh, his hat um we we sold that bridge uh back in 2013 you know that i i had forgotten about that fridge mm. uh, so all all these details they they come with um they come with each piece of footage and uh and then the film i mean I, i've said it a number of times it's like uh, you, you could shoot you could make a documentary about new york city by getting a 4k file of a taxi driver and and if you zoom into certain parts of the screen and and leave out the the original narrative which is this fiction narrative about Travis Bickle or maybe uh, the 400 blows the Truffaut film shot in 1958 in Paris even better because it's widescreen so you have a larger area to play with uh, these films they could be used as documentaries about uh, the cities uh, where they were shot Mm -hmm. avoiding completely uh, the the main character and the main narrative so i th i think that's that's why it's really fascinating to to work with um, you know the footage that you find mm -hmm. uh, the archival footage it mm -hmm. says a lot about time and and places and people yes there's a there's a moment in your film where you're talking about um a Brazilian film on Eisenstein, I, I believe, and yeah. in it, it's um, it you say that it, it's actually the last record of the film print distri it's distribution center, like in the the actual yeah. one um, yeah. in in real life, and so it's it's quite interesting, you know, a moment that brings together kind of when you're talking about the war and the in the politics of the country, and then it also brings in like film politics and distribution and everything, yeah. and there's all these incidental things that film is is capturing right like did you feel that in your in your going back and watching your own footage as well there were things that you just saw it in a completely new way in in, in doing it in this process well i mean the, the the most dramatic thing is the and it's in the film the way our house our home changed over the years mm -hmm. it's, it's very dramatic and 
And and I happen to remember each decision made by my mother at the time and, and her reasoning behind it. The changes to make it this way. Mm. But but for some reason and while you were asking your question, I remembered a, a film I really loved by Billy Wilder, Irma Ladouce. Mm. It was shot in Paris in sixty one, I think. And right in the opening, you can see the the public market of Leal, which is completely gone now. It was demolished in, I think, in the 70s. Mm. It was one of the biggest uh, food markets uh, uh, in France. And, of course, Irma Ladouce is not about Leal, but it was shot in and around Leal. And you can still see it. You can still see the way it was. Mm. Um, even if it's not a documentary, and and I love that. Um, I think Taxi Driver also has a, a number of places which are completely have completely disappeared from from New York City life. Mm. So I'm I'm a big uh, uh, I I I really love that aspect of of cinema. Um, you tell a story and you make a film and you naturally you're naturally making a almost like a secondhand documentary in the background it's so great to hear you in the talk talk about like because your brother was an arch you know was an architecture student and your mother asked him to 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 redesign the apartment um and so you you bring us into all these other characters in in your not care family members but they, you know they become characters for us in the film who we get to know um i'm wondering what the process of making the film was like for other people in your life who also have this familiarity with because you say this is a film about about space um and so uh then and there's a there's a great moment where you talk about how when you're creating the apartment it goes from a normal apartment to a cinema apartment um mm -hmm. and so i'm wondering if perhaps maybe uh how that in we get a new version of the cinema apartment in, in in this film so what was that like seeing it for 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 people in your life in this in this new context too i'm sure are used to seeing it pop up in your films but now here it's taking on a totally different turn i think um most well i wouldn't say all but most writers and artists filmmakers uh, playwrights will i don't think the, the correct word is steal but maybe borrow or even unavoidably think about life when when you're writing when you're thinking i mean uh, i have many active friends and they do think about people they met throughout their lives when they're composing a new character and it's unavoidable uh, and my films they have always been and I'm, of course, not the first filmmaker to do this. Uh, thousands have done it before me. And I have used uh, bits and pieces, bits of memory and, and ideas from the past, from my own life experience. And, and it's only natural that I should also expose that in a very kind of frank way. But luckily, because I'm not dealing with some of the very unpleasant aspects of life, uh, you know, trauma, tragedy. Uh, I think uh, most people connected to myself, they 
felt touched or or just happy with with this film. Uh, I think the the most painful area, and I was very careful to be respectful, is discussing the neighbor's house. But every shot you see in the film is literally from our window. It's it's uh, it's my point of view on the neighbor's house. I was never inside that house. There was not one shot made from inside the house. I, I never broke in. Um, but but it, it 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 was difficult for many years to deal with uh, almost the physical difficulty of dealing with with having that house as as a neighbor, you know. Mm. And but but somehow I have quite a lot of affection for Nico the dog. Mm. Uh, he gave us a very hard time for a number of years, but but today <laughs> I remember him almost. Uh, almost like a literary character mm-hmm. and um and i think in the end it's it's almost like a, a an homage to nico mm-hmm. as a as an animal as a as a being <laughs> uh, which yeah. somehow became part of our lives mm-hmm. and we did not have a dog <laughs> Yes, Nico is this dog who lives right next door and who um, I think you said right in the film that um, on the weekends he would be left kind of outside and he would just be barking all the time. And and there's a moment in the film where you think you hear his voice, but then it's actually your neighbors are watching a older version, a previous film of yours on television and you hear... You hear this voice where Nico's Nico's howling and barking <laughs> was re- was recorded by myself and used in the film. Yeah. So in the future, he comes back as some kind of television ghost, <laughs> yeah, or movie ghost. <laughs> well, I was going to ask that. That was actually going to be my next question: was this, this idea of ghosts, um, and and really just that there are ghosts that appear throughout the film in different ways of thinking, whether we're talking about memory or a phantom image that you at one point capture um and how you know how do you think about ghosts in relation to this this project whether it be literal ghosts memories or kind of reanimating the you know the those who are with us like nico through through cinema what you know what does it mean to you when we think about ghosts you can be very pragmatic and say uh, ghosts do not exist i'm not a religious person it's all bullshit uh, but I really love the idea of the poetic idea of ghosts. That really pleases me because uh, um, I think the idea of ghosts makes reality more interesting. It, it's like a twist on reality. It's like uh, you're blurring the lines of reality because now you're feeling a presence. There might be someone behind me watching me. I can feel a presence in the room. It makes everything more, uh, I don't know, more dramatic and more interesting and eerie. And uh, mm. so the poetic idea of ghosts is something that really I, I really love. And 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 no other. There is no other medium as which is more welcoming to that idea than cinema. Well, literature, of course, uh, but cinema is is incredibly. Um, uh, fertile for that notion. I saw last week 
well, a few days ago in London, uh, The Eternal Daughter, Joanna Hogg's film. Yes. And there, there it is. Uh, it, it reeks of ghosts all the time for all of its duration and in a very emotional way and it's eerie and it's it's very specific to British cinema and it reminded me of The Innocent. It's Tilda Swinton is an actress and then she plays a second character and that notion of the ghost images is so clever in the film and so heartfelt in the film. Mm. So, yeah, I I really love this film's uh, connections with uh, with the with ghosts. Yeah, and and I get questions like, so that photograph was it really a ghost? And that's completely beside the point. You know? <laughs> the poetic notion of 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 the whole thing. Yes, of course it is a ghost. The technical explanation for it is boring and it will probably tell you that it, it is not a ghost. Even if I can't quite explain how that ended up in my camera and I don't know who that person is. Um, but I really prefer the poetic explanation. Yes, it is a ghost. Mm. It is a ghost and for a couple of months I was known as the medium. <laughs> I, I was, I was, I was, uh, they wanted to take me to these uh, spiritualist centers, is that what you call them? And, and, and that's more interesting than any technical explanation. Mm, absolutely. Well, I think that that note on the relationship between the poetic and the technical and leaning into the poetic is a, is a great place to end. Thank you so much um, for taking the good. time to talk to me and congratulations on the film. Thank yeah. you very much. It was good talking to you.